Welcome to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. I'm your host, Kristen Thomas. I'm a certified sex coach and clinical sexologist based in Kansas City. And I just love to talk to people about what goes on in their sex lives and relationships. I also enjoy good conversation about love, heartache, activism, or making change in the world. Be warned, you should probably be 18 and over and probably listening on your headphones. Thanks for tuning in. Curator of the soon-to-be-unveiled Casey Rainbow Tour, Joel Barrett, joined me on this episode of Keep Them Coming. Joel shared stories of this city's queer past, including the influential 1966 meeting of the North American Conference of Homophile Organizations, or no, sorry, NACO, NACO, <laughs> which was really the ember of activism that helped spark the gay rights movement. Stonewall very well may not have happened in 1969 had NACO not had a conference here in Kansas City. We also talked about a woman I really want to meet named Leah Hopkins. She was not only an activist, she was the first openly, maybe the only, openly lesbian Playboy bunny at the Playboy Club here in Kansas City. Now, I'm not exactly a fan of Hugh Hefner, even though many of you listening know that uh, 30th anniversary edition of Playboy was responsible for my sexual awakening. It's still just an interesting piece of, of history. We also talked about the female and male impersonators that used to frequent the jazz district and some of the, the gay and lesbian performers that rolled through the jazz district. We also talked about Glamma, the gay and lesbian archives of mid-America, as well as Womantown, which was recently featured in its very own documentary. We also discussed a few side topics, such as how to show people respect via pronouns, finding long-lost gay family, and Anita Bryant. If you are young and you've never heard of Anita Bryant, or Phyllis Schlafly for that matter, you need to look up those women. We've got some (sighs) new versions of that running around, and you all need to know How did we defeat them before? You can find the Casey Rainbow Tour on Instagram and Facebook, as well as more information on Joel's website, joelspeaksout.com. Today, as I'm recording this, is February 15th, and it's Singles Appreciation Day. That was my topic for this month's Keep Them Coming in the Pitch. It's called Crafted Singles, and I talked all about how to actually be single and happy. I know a thing or two about being single, and I also know a thing or two about how to find your own happiness through that time. But it wasn't just about giving my best advice. You know me, and you know that the only advice that I like to give is based on the research that's out there. So, I discussed some real-world solutions and ways to actually embrace happiness. Not everyone who's single is looking to date right now. So this was not about dating advice. This was about singlehood advice. Also, for all my folks out there that are single and vibing, I created a playlist for you on Spotify. So um, if you've got any suggestions of your favorite songs to jam out to on a happy day, a day when you're just feeling yourself, email me. Kristen at OpenTheDoorsCoaching.com and I will not guarantee that I will put your song on there, but I will definitely take it under suggestion. And seriously, if it's a good one, 
it's going to go on the playlist. My other playlist that I have up for, you know, sexy time, my red light special playlist, that one's already four hours long. Uh, but my single and vibing one's only about two and a half hours long. So, you know, I like a lot of variety. I imagine you do too. So have a listen on Spotify. I'll have a link in the show notes or you can go to any of my socials and check my flow code and uh, find a link to that there. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in for another episode as always. And thank you for your emails. I appreciate the messages that some of y'all have written to me. Thank you to the new listeners that are out there. Uh, I see you in countries like, let's see, I've got listeners in India, the UK, even had a recent few downloads in Iran. Um, Hopefully some really awesome people who are staying safe, um, but some feminists over there are listening to this. Uh, Canada, Spain, Israel, the Netherlands, Germany, Indonesia, UAE. Y'all, thank you so much to any of you out there uh, from those countries that are now listening to keep them coming. I really appreciate you and hope you continue to listen. Feel free to email me if you have any suggestions about episodes or topics that you think that I should uh, cover. All right. Well, enjoy the rest of the episode with Joel Barrett as we discuss the Casey Rainbow Tour. On today's episode of Keep Them Coming, I am joined again by a friend of mine and mentor, Joel Barrett. Joel lives here in Kansas City, and he is an LGBTQ writer, speaker, and gatherer. He also, in his day job, helps small businesses and entrepreneurs. Um, Also the vice president of the Mid-America LGBT Chamber, which I'm a member and ambassador for. And why he's back on today is he has been working on a really exciting project with some folks here in town, but he's curated and produced the Casey Rainbow Tour. So welcome back, Joel. Thank you. It's always good to be back with you, my friend. I am, I know that you're not the first one that's necessarily gone out there and gathered some of this information about the rich queer history that we have here in Kansas City. There's a lot of people out there that don't know about all the things that have gone on in this town. So you've sort of started to piece some things together and create the Casey Rainbow Tour. So tell tell us more about what you've got going on. All right. Let me tell you what the tour is. It's a self-guided, app-narrated driving tour of Kansas City's LGBTQ history. So you'll download the app. Voice Map is the app and log in and it will my voice will guide you as your gps and tell you things to look out for there will be stories from other people past and present on there as well so you hear different voices there will be about 20 some actual destinations and probably about that many references to others along the way so um they aren't all like stop destinations but you'll be driving purposely by certain places some places you'll be told to stop and listen or get out even if you want to and explore um so the way this came about let me give you a little background on it is several years ago my husband and i were told about a similar tour called dividing lines which is about redlining and segregation in kansas city uses the same technology And so I thought, well, that would be an interesting tour. So we took the, I don't know, maybe 90 minutes and we went on that tour in our car Mm -hmm. and it was so fascinating, so educational, um, 
dare I say, entertaining, um, even though the subject matter wasn't, but it was just really eye-opening. Mm -hmm. And throughout the tour, since, well, let me back up. When we moved to Kansas City, I met Stuart Hines. I call him the keeper of the rainbow. He is the uh, librarian curator of the Gay and Lesbian Archives of Mid-America, for short, known as GLAMA, mm. appropriately named. So uh -huh. I had met him <laughs> and started learning about a lot of these important parts of our history. And when I first came to town, I wrote um, freelance for the Phoenix newsletter at the time. So I was also meeting a lot of people. So as we're taking this Dividing Lines tour, I told David, I was like, man, somebody should do one of these about LGBTQ history in Kansas City because there's so much. It would make a great tour. It'd be fascinating. And but and so I just filed that away in my head. And here we are years later. I decided to try to make it a reality. I applied for the Rocket Grant from the Charlotte Street Foundation here in Kansas City, which is a wonderful organization that supports artists. Mm -hmm. And I got it. <laughs> I was one of, I think, 10 recipients of the Rocket Grant this year, or well, 2022, 2023. And so then it's like, oh, I'm actually doing this. <laughs> so I've been working on it. Um, it is coming to fruition uh, and it will launch officially on June 3rd of 2023 at the Kansas City Museum. We'll have a big launch celebration with special guests and live music and just out on the lawn, access to the museum. It's going to be a really fun day. And the launch party is from two to four, but we're going to encourage people to go on the tour themselves from 12 to two anytime during that time. And there will be some special photo ops along the tour that will only be there that day and that day alone. That is so amazing. But I, if it's because of some of the things that you've already posted about the rainbow tour that even in my neighborhood, I've driven past some places and like imagine what was going on and uh, like Dante's Inferno. Uh-huh where that used to be. I go by that spot all the time. Um, but, you know, I did not, even until a few years ago, understand that so much of like queer culture in the 20s and 30s was going on here in Kansas City because yeah. we were never really a dry town, thanks to Tom Pendergast and his uh, machine corruption here. corruption <laughs> yes we'll call it yes what it is that we he... are reaping the benefits of his corruption <laughs> yes but we had drink we had brothels we had queer clubs we had people dressing in drag we had um burlesque yes we had so much and really it it, it is because kansas city was I think in a way, uh, this is my just opinion. I haven't done the historical research on this, but I feel like, you know, how Kansas City is oftentimes referred to as a flyover town. I think it always has been. And so when crackdowns were happening across the country, they focused on Chicago, San Francisco, New York, you know, these like major cities. And you think about Kansas City. Kansas City is just doing its own thing down here. And then because we were... Uh, ideally situated from to Chicago, we had a lot of mafia activity here. It's rumored that most of the gay bars at one time were owned by the mafia mm -hmm. um, because they found it to be a very lucrative business. Um, and then during um, Prohibition, Kansas City kind of was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> because it was already built on jazz uh out spirits we were always a distillery town spirits were made here um it was 
born out of that kind of entertainment. And, you know, to his, dare I say, to his credit, uh, Pendergast said, you know, this is going to kill Kansas City. And and he was right. It would have. Um, so Kansas City had their ways of just kind of skirting around all of that. Uh, we had a very pol corrupt police department, which is why to this day we are the only city in the United States that the state runs our police department instead of the city. That's yeah. a leftover from back in the day because it was so corrupt that finally, you know, the state stepped in and said, y'all, y'all can't manage your own business. Yeah. So we're going to do it for you. Yes. <laughs> Yes, we are clamoring for local control again, locally yes. mm -hmm. on the um, you know progressive political front. It's but yeah, that's way a known, overdue. Yeah, it's a little known fact. If you don't live here, people go, "What? What do you mean you don't have control?" Well, it is kind of it, it served its purpose back in the day, but yeah, we would like to have control of our police force back again. Yeah. So Kansas City really has a kind of a sordid, colorful history all the way around. Yes. But then because of that, that also allowed for the things that you were mentioning earlier with early what then wasn't called drag. It was female impersonation. Mm -hmm. um, but there was, I mean, even in the 1800s here, like that's incredible to me. We had nationally known uh, female impersonators performing here. It was a really fascinating. It's really fascinating to learn kind of the colorful history and how far it goes back. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I've done a little research here and there, and there's some very interesting images that you can find of uh, like posters mm -hmm. um, from the sixties and before of all these female impersonators, burlesque dances, so many clubs and gay clubs, yep. which, um, you know, gay male clubs are doing pretty good right now, but did you know there's only 20 lesbian bars left in the country? I'm not surprised because I know my daughter lives in Chicago and she's lesbian and she's taken me to the two gay bars or lesbian bars, excuse me, in Chicago. Like Chicago is a big city to only have two. And one of them is very small. Mm -hmm. We did have plenty of them back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. The two that are in Chicago are newer, like mm -hmm. in the last three years or so. So maybe that's hope uh and every time i've been to them with her they're full yeah so i'm like i think it's time well so anyone out there listening that wants to open a lesbian bar in kc like the market is open i do think it it would i mean i hear lesbians talk all the time about wishing there was a space to gather mm -hmm. um we do have some bars in town that do a, make a strong effort at providing lesbian night you know, but I mean, lesbians deserve a whole bar. They don't deserve yeah. just a night. You know? Exactly. <laughs> it's not the same thing. We're recognizing that. So, well, you know, as I was mentioning earlier, I was unaware of the rich cultural history we had here for the LGBT community mm -hmm. until I saw a placard that is downtown at Barney Ellis Plaza. Mm -hmm. um, now I can't, I should have, I think I've got a picture of it on my phone. I don't remember what all it says, but it was, it was enlightening. And was just referencing the fact that, you know, there was a strong queer community here in town. Ooh, I do have a picture of it on my phone, um, if you want me to read it. But I can tell you the history. That placard goes back to the year I was born, which was 1966. Okay. Um, 
before we get into that, though, remember Stonewall, the Stonewall riots in New York City happened in 1969. Mm -hmm. So three years prior to Stone, uh, the Stonewall riots erupting here in Kansas City, uh, a young organizer by the name of Drew Schaefer and a few others basically had this kind of conversation. This is how I envisioned the conversation going of like, OK, you know, we're starting to be here, be queer kind of thing. And but we're not getting rights. You know, we're being thrown out of the military. We're being you know, there's a lot of issues going on. What do we want to do about that? You know, because we want to we feel like for the first time, people started talking about their rights. Mm -hmm. And so that's why the, quote, gay rights movement uh, happened. So Drew Schaefer and some others said, let's get a bunch of people together from all these different organizations around the country, which were that weren't that many then. But, you know, we had San Francisco, L.A. organizations. We had New York City organizations. And let's all get together and find out, in a sense, you could say, it was the gay agenda, the birth of the gay agenda. You know, they were kind of like saying, what do we want to do? What are our steps, you know? Mm -hmm. And they couldn't agree on where to meet because for either LA or New York or San Francisco, New York, that was a long drive or flight back in those days in 66. So it was finally agreed that Kansas City was the halfway point for everybody. And so they decided to come and meet here in Kansas City, right down there where a hotel once stood, where that placard is in the Barney Ellis Plaza. The hotel's gone, but, uh, and they met. So that was the very first ever organized meeting of LGBTQ leaders in the nation to get together. So I like to say that the gay rights movement was conceived, you'll appreciate this as a, as a sexologist. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was conceived here in Kansas City. It was born three years later in Stonewall. But if it hadn't been for the conversations that took place here in Kansas City, I'm not sure Stonewall would have happened or would have happened in the way that it happened. But it got the ball rolling of people saying, we have rights. We deserve to be recognized like other people. And up until then, those kinds of conversations were kind of scary to have. You didn't you didn't really think about yourself. Unfortunately, it's sad, but you know, you look back in history, people weren't fighting for their rights. They were kind of in hiding. It's illegal to be handicapped in public right. until the mm -hmm. 70s because of this public disgust law. Mm -hmm. Oh, and that's also the things that they use to keep homeless people out of public spaces. Like yeah. They're... And they're doing that again mm -hmm. in a lot of places. Yeah, with um their architecture. The homeless person. Like yeah. Mm -hmm. But, but the yeah, it was it was up with a lot of crap as far as not being treated equal in many yeah. regards. If you weren't cisgender, white male, able-bodied, wealthy, all the things, if you didn't fit right. that little bitty mold up until 50, 60 years ago, everyone was willing to just say, Well, they're the standard. We don't fit that. So And the truth is, um LGBTQ rights in comparison to many other marginalized groups of people, our movement has moved fairly rapidly. Um, because you think, you know, that was 56 years ago or whatever that was, you know, um, and a lot has changed and a lot changed in the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in comparison to uh, 
civil rights for black people, our movement has actually moved much more rapidly. Unfortunately, it is starting to get the same kind of pushback, though, that it is. the yes. civil rights movement received. It, and like, we're, we're going backwards right now, but... <laughs> I mean, the fact, as you mentioned, we had female impersonators, also known as drag queens, over 100 years ago. Oh, like, yeah. Were, were there people protesting then? Were there people creating state it just, laws? It that... was, they might have been considered outlandish, but it was entertainment. Because yeah. it is. Drag, yeah. in, in impersonation, drag kings, drag queens, all of them. It's And it's always entertaining. I mean, this is why Mrs. Doubtfire is a classic movie that everybody loves. That's why Tootsie and, uh, you know, there's a whole, uh, some like it hot. You know, with Marilyn Monroe and yes, uh, yeah, you know, yes. the whole movie is them in drag. My dad showed me some like it hot for the first time when I was like 13, 12 or 13. He didn't have a problem with Jacqueline and Curtis dressing in drag. Then I watched Tootsie as a child. I watched Mrs. Doubtfire when it mm -hmm. came out. What was another? What was the show that Tom Hanks had? Yeah, I know. I can't remember. Yeah, the the list is endless. Drag is not something new. It has never been something dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, it has never been something to be concerned about. You know, are there problematic people everywhere in every occupation? Yes. But if we're going to start cracking down on behalf, and we're getting political here, but if we're going to start cracking down on behalf of our That's children. My show, it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start where with the lowest hanging fruit and the lowest hanging fruit happens to be religion <laughs> like we have little to no evidence that drag queens are a threat to our children we have millions of cases of evidence that religious institutions are a threat to our children so tell me why are we focused on the least uh threat yeah. Agreed. Agreed. I've never felt uncomfortable around a drag queen, but I have definitely felt uncomfortable around men in plenty of public situations. Like, yeah, it's amazing what men who are, I like the word nefarious because it's just good mm -hmm. word. Nefarious men, the things that they will do when they've got an opportunity. And, and it's, I mean, I think it really just comes back down to um, it's easy to villainize the, the, the people that are, could be construed as, oh, those people are weird or different or outlandish or whatever. It's easy to villainize those people and say, look, there's the problem. You know, this is the same tactic that has been used by people for all of eternity. Absolutely. You, you deflect, you distract, and you that for, therefore you won't notice the problem yes. at home they villainize what they fear right when they fear what they don't understand and i think a lot of times what they fear is themselves being discovered <laughs> there's that too the ones that protest the most oh. seem to be the ones that are yes. the most me thinks thou dost protest too loudly <laughs> yes exactly exactly and anytime someone is repressing something about their true nature, it will simply come out in really awful ways. Hmm. So some of that is a bit of self-loathing, you know, mm -hmm. and some of that is a bit of, you know, attacking others and their life and making judgments or trying to uh, 
protest them outside of story hours. Um, yeah. And it, ultimately, it all comes down to power. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, I don't believe that half of these people that are leading these, uh, half the politicians actually give a rat's ass about any of that, but it keeps them in power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could go on for hours about yeah. that. So, so tell me with the rainbow tour, what was maybe your, your favorite fact that you learned as you were gathering information for this? Well, of course, that story of kind of the notoriety, if that's not the right word, but the significance of that 1966 meeting really being the conception of so much. And you never hear anybody talk about this. And it's okay. like, that was, that was kind of the starting point. But then as you learn, as you move out from that, I think my favorite, there's a lot of little um, anecdotal pieces I can share, mm -hmm. but I do have a one person that just is near and dear to me after this. So anecdotally, I think it's really cool. You can see that, you know, um, uh, Oscar Wilde performed here in the 1800s. And there's a very vivid description of what he looked like and kind of from a newspaper clipping. Um, Ma Rainey used to perform in the Jazz District. Um, there's uh, Alberta Hunter performed there. Tiny Davis, who was considered the female uh, Louis Armstrong. Um, she was actually run out of the Jazz District for being lesbian. And she and her girlfriend moved to Chicago where she could perform and she ended up starting a gay bar in Chicago mm. or a lesbian bar, I should say. Mm -hmm. um, so she's, uh, there's uh, another guy that performed here. It was from here, um, Half Pint Jackson. And he was 5'2". <laughs> he was a singer. I think he played the trumpet. I don't remember. He played one of those instruments. But he also included female impersonation and drag into it, into his act. And so he did kind of all of the above. And he was here from Kansas City. So there's a lot of like really interesting people that came along. Um, but in the early to mid 70s, uh, Leah Hopkins came onto the scene. She had grown up here, had moved away to Chicago. Um, she grew up in the KCK area, uh, Kansas City, Kansas, for those of you not from the area. I forget sometimes that not everybody knows that term. <laughs> um, uh, so she, she moved to Chicago. She came back. She's black. She came back with her white girlfriend and she got a job. Uh, she had done some modeling. She got a job at the Kansas City Playboy Club and she was the first black Playboy bunny in Kansas City. And she was also openly lesbian at the time. And so like that's mm -hmm. that is so significant. You know, just that yeah. when you think about the early 70s, like for a black woman in Kansas City to be lesbian and be open about it and to be at the Playboy Club. And so that in itself is interesting. But from there, she began, uh, she just was always out. When she came out, she's like, I'm out. And so she wanted to celebrate that with everybody. And so she wasn't widely accepted. Well, she wasn't. She told me that she was really not accepted at all in the black lesbian community because she was too out for them. And mm -hmm. so they 
felt like they would be outed by being around her. With her. Mm-hmm. So she kind of just set out on her own. She ended up organizing the very first gay pride parade here in Kansas City. Um, and then she formed uh, the Christopher Street organization here. And they were responsible for the gay prides for quite a number of years. They also were responsible for uh, getting involved um, in many, many uh, things that were happening. So Anita Bryant came to town um, mm. for for younger listeners. They may not tell younger listeners because yeah. I know who Anita Bryant is, but there's lots of people who don't. She's still alive. But um, yeah. Anita Bryant was a like beauty pageant queen. You know, she was, I think, like Miss South Carolina or something like that. And I think she competed for Miss America, but didn't mm-hmm. get it. But she just, for some reason, became a really vocal uh, activist, well-known. She sang, and she was Christian. And so she was chosen as the spokesperson for Florida orange juice back in the day. So kind of the whole country kind of knew who Anita Bryant was because she was on your TV screen. She was singing. She would sing at like Billy Graham crusades, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like the equivalent of a televangelist kind of thing. And she, at some point, decided much, her arguments were very similar to our politicians today, that gays were to be feared and that we needed to protect our children Mm -hmm. from the gays. And so if you go back and you look at her protest signs and things, you'll see the exact same kind of language that's being used today about trans people or drag queens or anything else. So she had that, you know, save our children kind of thing, which is always a great theme because who could be against saving children, right? So it's always a great way to to garner support. Mm -hmm. When I lived in Indiana, there was an organization called Feed the Children. And I'm like, that's the most brilliant name for a nonprofit ever because... You're going to say no when they're like, would yes. you throw in a dollar into our bucket? Would you like to feed the like, children? No. no. Oh, you want children to starve then, huh? Hmm. But yeah, she's a, so she, it's, she was a very Westboro Baptist before Westboro Baptist. Yes, but in a more polished way. Yes. So, um, but she became, fashion. yeah, she became more and more out, outspoken. This coincided with the early days of the moral majority uh, organized by Jerry Falwell Sr., uh, leading up to Ronald Reagan's uh, presidency and all. So the Republican Party started having her at things. And uh, she came into town for the National Booksellers Association. And she was like the keynote or something for that. So back to Leah, the Christopher Street Organization organized at that time the largest protest ever in Kansas City. And uh, downtown on the Barney Ellis Plaza, she was in the municipal auditorium there and they were on the steps and it was the largest protest ever uh, in Kansas City at that time. And it was against Anita Bryant being there. Um, She went on to lots of lots more. She ended up losing her contract as the spokesperson for uh, Florida Orange Juice, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. But Leah led that kind of protest. Uh, She also... Um, got involved. She heard that the Gay Student Union at UMKC had been formed. UMKC is the University of Missouri, Kansas City. And the university refused to recognize that student union Mm. because they were gay. Mm -hmm. And so the student union was kind of like, well, that sucks, you know, kind of thing, and didn't know what to do about it. Leah heard about it. She went and met with them, and she's like, oh, no, we will fight this. And so she led them in a fight 
to try to get gain recognition. They got the ACLU involved, and this fight went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court, when it, you know how they have the option to say, we don't even want to hear this, mm -hmm. or yes, we'll hear They's like, this is not an issue. We don't want to hear this. So thereby, it made it required then that they be recognized. Yeah. Uh, so that set the standard for gay student unions at public universities across the entire nation. And that started right here in Kansas City, thanks to Leah. She also uh, was involved, the Christopher Street Foundation was involved in starting something. I think it's the one in the same, but they may have worked together, but the Condom Crusaders. Ah, <laughs> and the Condom Crusaders, this was in the late 70s, leading into the 80s. And so uh, Penn Valley Park or the Liberty Memorial was the cruising spot for gay men and also just a hanging out space. I was talking to Melinda Ryder recently, a, a legendary drag queen here, and she said that at the time, the way this isn't like this anymore but there was a road that went around the entire park uh so now it's just kind of parking lots and stuff but at that time you could drive around the road. and they said that when the bars closed in the evening all of the gays would go to liberty memorial and they would just drive that circle and he's they melinda and her husband kirk said sometimes it could take up to an hour or more just to get around the circle because there's that many people I'm sorry, but can I say how funny it is that the gays gathered around a large phallic mm -hmm. <laughs> a I know. memorial in our city? It looks like a giant <laughs> dick, y'all. If you've never yes, seen it does. World War One memorial, it's a tower with a flame on top. And may I say it looks more like an uncut dick. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and so anyway, then the police started targeting them. Mm -hmm. And also people were attacking gays there. So the uh, condom crusaders went around and handed out condoms, warned them of the police. So they started these patrols to protect the gays and be like, the police are here or don't go there or whatever. And so plus hand out condoms at the same time. They hand out condoms elsewhere as uh, the bars and things. But that was a really cool initiative. And Leah told me that she they were doing this and she had never been on it. She's like, I want to go on one of these patrols. And She's like, because I don't care where gay men are having sex. I just want to make sure they're safe. Nobody deserves to be killed for, for that. Right. So she talks about the time she went on overnight and did the patrol with everybody so she could kind of get a feel for what it was like because lesbians don't really have the reputation of cruising, but gay men do. <laughs> lesbians do it in a different way. <laughs> yes. Yes. So that's Leah. I love her to death. She's still alive. She's in her late seventies, uh, lives here in Kansas city with her wife. And she's just a, she's just a firecracker, like just full of energy, vim, vigor, loves to talk about all of this and has done a lot of really good and significant things over the years here. That is a fabulous story. I have seen pictures of her and I have heard stories about her, but I didn't put two and two together that some of these things were like the same person. But I knew about her being you know, the first Black woman to work at the Playboy Club, but I did not know that she was openly lesbian. But I've seen pictures of her, you know, mm -hmm. in the group with the Playboy. Where was the Playboy Club here? In so if downtown is the Mark Twain building, okay, um, it is currently being restored for apartments or condos or hotel. I don't know which. Is it called uh, the Mark? Yes. Right now? I just went by that last night because my friend lives by there. We yes. And I believe that it was on like the top floor. 
mm. of that of that building. That uh, a friend of mine told me that he used to work in that building back in the day, and it was only occupied on the first few floors, and the rest of the building was empty. And once in a while, they would go up, and he's like, the Playboy Club was still like, like frozen in time. Uh -huh. He's like, everything was still there, the emblems, everything. And I'm like, man, I hope somebody saved all of that. You know, I, it would be really cool to just kind of have that go back in that 70s Playboy Club feel. Uh, I've, I have seen in some of the antique stores here in town, a couple of the um, gold cards. Uh -huh. Playboy Club. Uh, almost yep. bought one. They're kind of expensive for, yeah. for memorabilia, but they have keys too. They have Playboy keys, and so who knows? I, I'm probably wouldn't appreciate everything that went on in that club, but I do think it's an interesting piece of history. Exactly. Yes, I'm not a Hugh Hefner fan. No. Yes, Playboy was responsible for, I think, a, a chain of events that led me to this point in my life, <laughs> as I've told <laughs> previous episodes about me finding the. 30th anniversary edition at my grandparents' house under my uncle's bed. Um, Can I tell you one more Leah Hopkins story? Oh, yeah. Uh, she, after she did, got known here from doing a lot of work, Memphis, Tennessee was going to have their first pride parade. They contacted Leah and said, we want you to lead our parade, like be our parade marshal. And she's like, sure, we'd love to. And immediately once it was announced the death threats started flowing in and people started saying if that bitch shows her face down here you know we're gonna kill her we're gonna shoot her and so it got so bad that memphis called her and like i don't think you should come it's not safe for you to come down for this and leah in typical leah style said oh hell no i am coming and she's like and when i arrive you have the news media there because i'm going to give i'm going to talk to them as soon as i get off the plane and so she's like, you tell, you tell them the bitch is coming. And uh, she flew down there. She got off the plane. Of course, in those days, you know, you could have people right at the gate. News media was all at the gate. <clears throat> they were all ready to interview her, interview her. She walked up to the podium and she said, the bitch is here. And she turned around and walked off. <laughs> and that was all she said. <laughs> That's my kind of gal. And then she went, she was the parade marshal and nothing happened. You know, she was like, oh, hell no, I, you will not chase me away. <laughs> and that's the thing, Joel, most of these fuckers are just all talk. I mm -hmm. get, yes, there's a few violent ones mm -hmm. out there. Okay. Yes. But most of them are just running their mouths. It is. It's, it's the equivalent of little middle school boys telling you mama you know mama jokes you know what i mean it's they're just trying to get you riled up and mm -hmm. yeah you and know, there's part of me that says not that i want to die but i mean i'd rather die for a good cause than live in hiding same yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent i've it's time for a quick break i promise it'll just be a minute so stay tuned i'll be right back after a few words that help me get paid when it comes to your adult visual content, are you wanting something a little more ethical? Perhaps a little more queer? Then maybe you need to check out Afterglow. Afterglow provides erotic visual content for women and non-binary folks made by women and non-binary folks. Why is it important to watch ethical porn? Well, because you want to make sure that everyone on screen is consenting. 
you want to make sure everyone on screen and involved in the production is getting paid for you watching this, not just someone who downloaded it from another website and re-uploaded it. And we are certainly not wanting to watch someone's revenge porn. The way to avoid all of those things is to pay for your content. But you can try out Afterglow for seven days free by going to the website that is either in the show notes or go to the links in my social media bios, click that, then use the code XOKristen, and you'll get a seven-day free trial to Afterglow. I've had some conversations with my husband about you know, what's kind of going on in our culture and things that are changing. Of course, we're we're a little bit insulated in Kansas City. I, we don't have people going to KCMO public school board meetings to ban books, but you know, not far away from us, we we do mm-hmm. have those people. But like, <sighs> there's there is a, a certain amount of stand and fight in me that will mm-hmm. never go away. Mm-hmm. Just like sounds like was in Leah. Yeah, I know that not every queer person or ally kind of has it in them right now to be doing it but uh y'all like things are getting a little intense out there our state legislatures as you say said earlier like we are moving backwards in many regards to people's rights and um we've got to start standing up a little harder a little louder Mm -hmm. and a little taller than they do exactly i'll well i won't go into that that's that's a whole other story (laughs) i'll stop there (laughs) well Well, what I hope is that things like this with the KC Rainbow Tour help enlighten and engage people in our community that are completely unaware. I mean, they know that gay people exist, but to to show them again the rich history mm-hmm. that people have here in the queer community and that we've been here all along. So much. Uh, this isn't a new thing. You know, you can go back to stories from the late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, in the 50s and 60s, drag had kind of its first, was when drag really started being called drag. So drag had its big, uh, not resurgence, because it was the first time, but kind of exploded on the scene. And Kansas City was known nationally for its drag clubs here. Uh, the Jewel Box um, Cabaret, Dante's Inferno, these kinds of places were known nationally. And uh, it was really incredible. The Jewel Box original location still stands on Troost. That will be one of the places that you'll drive by. Uh, a lot of those bars are gone, but there's still some uh, that are, at least this, the buildings still stand for some of them. Um, but it's really even not just about that. We'll also be going through Woman Town, which was an intentional lesbian community that was built in the early 90s. Um, where Talk some about that for a sec. Oh, yeah. It's incredible. I mean, now there was a documentary created yes, uh-huh. last year on our public mm-hmm. television KCPT, right? Right. Um, but yeah, Woman Town was actually in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Tell the, us yeah, about it was this. an intentional community. Uh, a few lesbians, uh, you know, moved into the Longfellow neighborhood, and they uh, kind of at that time the Longfellow neighborhood was, I won't say derelict, but it, it wasn't a hot spot to be. You know, it had its problems, mm-hmm. and they bought a house or two there, and. We're, as they were living there, we're like, you know, we're actually, this neighborhood is not bad. And wouldn't it be great if 
if like all a bunch of lesbians could move in here and we could just you know have a little community yeah and like they mentioned that one of the things they always said is like wouldn't it be nice to walk hand in hand in our own neighborhood mm-hmm. which you know a side note that is something that to this day there are a lot of lgbtq people that do not feel comfortable walking hand in hand in anybody's neighborhood yeah um and I think a lot of straight cisgender people, that doesn't occur to them how much there's an underlying stress that is where you're constantly editing, looking, measuring, analyzing, how out can I be here? I try not to really do a lot of that because it's exhausting. Um, and so David and I pretty much are just like, here we are. <laughs> um but you know, even in that though, I'm always aware. Yes. Like, you know, it's kind of a mental looking over your shoulder to make sure you're okay. You know. So anyway, yeah. back in the '90s, these this group of lesbians. So let's just. So they started. They put ads because this is before the internet. This is before email. They put ads in national, like in other lesbian newsletters and stuff across the United States, just saying, you know, hey, starting this woman town in Kansas City. You know, come join us. And women started doing it. They were moving from California and from Canada, and they started moving to Kansas City to wow. be a part of this neighborhood. I had and, no clue that I got that. Like, yeah, they started buying the houses there because they weren't real expensive, and these were like, you know, like all good lesbians. They were good with tools, and so <laughs> they, <laughs> they, you know, just just happened to the stereotype there. But they truly were though. Like they started fixing up these houses themselves and like then at one point they bought a sixplex apartment and the deal was you know if you're not really sure you want to stay here you know come rent an apartment from us if you decide to become a permanent resident we will let you out of your lease no questions asked and so it gave people a chance to try out the neighborhood and see if they liked it and at one point in time, it grew to, I think at its height, there were 90 lesbian residents in the Longfellow neighborhood. That's amazing. It is. It is. And they did a lot of good things there while there. They planted tulips everywhere because to play into the funny stereotype, their trademark was a tulip. Mm-hmm. And so they had these tulip flags and every, every lesbian residence got a flag and they flew that flag. So you knew which residents were lesbians they had the tulip flag and then as a part of beautification they started planting tulips throughout the entire neighborhood um and those many of those tulips still bloom to this day i was gonna say having you know been a resident i was in hyde park which is just longfellow Mm -hmm. walking through the neighborhood and and having friends that lived over Mm -hmm. there like it it has always since i've lived back here the last decade felt like a it felt like Columbia, Missouri. It felt mm-hmm. very queer. It felt very diverse. It felt okay. young. It felt like, I don't know, a neighborhood that we could just walk around and be ourselves. Like there was eclectically painted homes and nice. It's got painted. kind of a bohemian feel to yes, it. Yes. It what, what we think. Yes. Boho. <laughs> so what, what happened? I mean, obviously as people age out, pass away but is, is are there still any remnants of um from what i understand there are still a large number of lesbian households there um but there's no organized woman town anymore um at the time it was a newsletter and you know there was but it kind of served its purpose and so people still live there but there's no organization called woman town 
maybe we'll have to drive through and see if we notice any tulip flags. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think it would be really flags. awesome to revive that, you know, to, to revive those flags, even not just for that community, but just in town, like as a, as oh a fun, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. hmm. We might have to think about something like that, but yeah, I thought that's really great. And, you know, you did touch on something as you were describing woman town there about the street privilege that people yeah. often carry when it comes to public displays of affection. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I recognize that that is something that I have often taken for granted. The fact that I can easily and readily walk down the street holding my husband's hand, him having his arm around me, and um, we're not going to get yelled at. We don't have to measure mm -hmm. ourselves. We don't have to mitigate our behavior. And um, I look forward to a world where nobody has to worry about that it's it's better than ever um but it also helps when you live in a metro area um i don't know if you're watching is it we are here on hbo last of us wait we are here which one's that it's one? no not last of us i know there's so many there's so many titles like that right now, but, but um this is the three drag queens bob the drag queen oh. eureka and shangela I heard of it. Haven't watched they, it. Yet. They go around to small towns and uh, basically, it's kind of like Queer Eye for the Straight Guy, except it's about drag and it's about helping people and challenging people. And they went. I saw that they went to Branson's. I'm like, I have to watch that one. I and did see Bob post on his, on his uh, Instagram about one town being particularly unsafe. I Branson was just awful. I'm sure like it was it was it made me realize uh, not that I had any grand illusions about Branson but it just made me thankful that I live in a, in a cosmopolitan city you know because it's even worse there I mean there was one scene there where they were in the three queens were not in drag at all but were in front of a store and the store owner came out telling them the cops have been called you get off of out from from there they were they weren't even in drag they were just present and on the public sidewalk in front of his store and he had called the cops and told them they had to go now i'm like oh vote with your dollar y'all don't go to branson yeah yeah, yeah that's that town but it's so it's so wholesome <laughs> oh i would love to take my husband to Silver Dollar City because I do have some very fond memories of that place as a child, but I vote with my dollar these days and mm -hmm. I just can't justify giving any of my money in that tax district. Yeah, just isn't going to happen. Mm -mm, mm -mm, not happening. You know, something that has come up for me as we've been talking about this is I was thinking about a conversation that I had with someone where they were talking with their teen and this teen, he was feeling like, I don't really understand my peers. Like half these kids, you know, change their pronoun every other week or they're identifying as this and that and the other. And she did sort of lightly say like, I didn't really know what to say to him. And I feel like all this stuff is so new and so different. I don't have the answers. So I at least applauded her for saying, I don't know what to say, like help me. but. I said, you know, this is not anything 
new. It's maybe a little different than it used to be, but it's not that gay people didn't exist. It's not that drag queens were never around. It's not that lesbians weren't there. It's that your great, great, great aunt lived with her friend and that was really her lesbian life partner. Okay. Your great, 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 whatever cousin mm-hmm. um, didn't just die at 23. They committed suicide because it was so hard for them in their hometown. Mm-hmm. You know, other stories of your family member just left and went and lived in another city, never to be heard from again. Those are the stories of your gay elders that your family just didn't tell you or your family didn't know about. So queer people have always been here. Yep. This is a little different right now because the visibility has helped the information dump that we have on the internet has helped, but we've always been here. You know, I just came back from Phoenix, and while I was there, I visited my my mom's cousin. So I don't know what that makes, and I never can remember how that works. It is second, your second second cousin. Second cousin. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's eighty now, and he's gay. And um, I always try to. He came to my wedding. He's like, you know, I, I but. Prior to me coming out, I did not know that he even existed mm. because my family did not talk about him. Mm-hmm. I'm sure um, your family did not. I know your uh, <laughs> listeners, unless you listen to the previous episodes, Joel wrote, grew up in a very fundamentalist house. Yes. So after I came out and some of my aunts were like, oh, you should connect with your cousin, Richard. You know, he's gay too. And I'm like, wait who and what and you know um i I had heard some vague references to a cousin richard it was always associated negatively Mm. um i never heard he was gay or anything but it was always like you know kind of feel when they talked about cousin richard so and that was very rare so it didn't even really leave a mark i'm just i don't know they're talking about somebody extended family kind of thing Mm -hmm. so then came out I reached out to him and I told him I was like I'm really sorry Richard but I didn't even know there was a cousin Richard (laughs) I was like and I was like I am so excited to know you and you know he's been out all of his life and uh you know we stay in touch now and I had uh you know breakfast with him but I think you know yeah wouldn't it have been nice to know that growing up you know Obviously, my parents were not, you know, were never encouraging me to be gay, you know, but just think about how different it would have been had I just known that we actually had a family member who's also gay, yeah. you know, because, um, yeah, so that you're right when you think about, I, I don't know where I'm going with this other than you're right. We've always been here and people have always hidden us and we've had to hide ourselves. Mm-hmm. And where we are right now probably does feel rather affronting to many people because it's kind of like I just got used to the fact that there are gay people and now there's drag queens and pronoun changes and non-binary and you know like and I'm sure to many people it just feels like the whole world has gotten us it's like it's always been here always you can find references to it in the Holy Bible if you want to you know so. Let's stop acting surprised. And then thinking about what you said about that parent. 
sometimes I think there's too much emphasis on what to say. And instead of my, my response is, how can you show this person respect? That's what you need to focus on. Because if you're thinking about, I wanna be respectful of this person where they're at, it, it's not about what I say. It's more about my attitude and what I say will, when I'm thinking about in terms of the lens of respect, I will be respectful. So if this person says their pronouns are giraffe and banana, I want to respect them. How can I best do that? Yeah. I may not understand it. I may think it's foolishness, but this is a person and they de deserve respect. So how am I going to show that respect? Yeah. Yes. Agreed. I also threw in there, teens are kind of weird. Like, <laughs> they are. Teens just do weird shit. They're, they're, it's like they're stretching their legs. They're trying to like figure themselves out. And they are still kids. Their brains are still forming. They are. And um, like we've and got to give them leeway to be. Yeah. They're, they're just, you know, mm. and some of it will stick. Some of it won't. Are any of us exactly like we were when we were 17? No. You Our know? fundamentals are probably the right. same. But we're also. I, mean, I knew I was gay. Yes. But, you know. But we're still not the same person, you know, and, and that like, we, because we try things on for size. And, and I think that we have to be okay with that. Just like when you're especially teenagers, you know, how many teenagers have gone through their goth period, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> Where they tried that on for size. One of my granddaughters is going through that right now, you know, and I'm like, you know, ultimately I'm old enough to know it's fine. It doesn't matter. Like, They'll try it on. It's a costume at that point in time, really. You know, it's a way for them to identify with a group of people. Mm -hmm. Let them do it. Are they always going to be goth? I don't know. I don't meet very many. There are some, but I don't meet very many 50-year-old goth people. You know what I mean? So if they are, then boy, that was really who they were. And they stuck with it all these years. Most people, though, are going to try it on. And then later, they're going to look at those pictures and go, what on earth was I thinking? You know, and that's okay. All of that is fine. It, it's no skin off my back either way. Yes. So why do I even care? <laughs> exactly. It doesn't hurt anybody. Like, let let those teens figure some things out. Give them some space. Give them some respect. Let and it be just let it be just let them let them figure it out they will figure it out can i show you the work that was done by others that's making the casey rainbow tour possible yes one will be the gay and lesbian archives of mid-america at the university of missouri kansas city mm -hmm. um i had the opportunity to tour that recently it is so much more than i ever anticipated um the library there has a giant four-story robot in this four-story room cavernous room that will they type in the computer what they need the robot will go and get that file so it'll bring it out to them they have memorabilia books you name it and it's not just glamour that's for that whole library but mm -hmm. pretty incredible um and thanks to Stuart Hines uh David Jackson and there's one other name that I'm forgetting at the moment that this was their brainchild to um create a depository, so to speak, for memorabilia, which mm -hmm. I am a storyteller and I believe in that we have to keep our stories alive. Yeah. 
And I'm so, th otherwise they, they die, they go away, they fade off and we don't know anything about it. And the future generations can't learn from it. Um, I'm seeing at my age now, 57, almost 57. I've been saying I'm 57, but that doesn't actually happen until May 4th. So I don't know why I'm already claiming it, but I am. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm really seeing that gap of knowledge to refer back to like cruising. A lot of, uh, for those of your listeners or viewers that don't understand cruising, but back in the day before a lot of gay men went to parks, public restrooms, places like that to hopefully hook up with somebody because one, they were closeted or two, it wasn't safe for them to be in a gay bar or one of those kinds of things. So they found these uh, place sanctuary in, in public places. They were not there to prey on your children or jump out of the bushes at you or anything. It was, <laughs> I need to find somebody like me. But I found it interesting, a lot of young gay men today, when they think of cruising, they think of it as a fetish or a kink. Mm, mm -hmm. They're like, oh, that's really, I should try that. You know, it's like, that you don't understand. That's, you know, fine, you go do that. That's great. But it but was it, just about but, the same. well, they're kind of doing that with Grinder these days. You're you're yeah. cruising with the help of an app. <laughs> right, right. But it's funny because a lot of younger guys don't realize that no, it wasn't some kink or fetish. It was that was the only way to find somebody. Yeah. Yeah. It Unless wasn't actually you... about the public sex. It no. wasn't about the like random hookup. No. It was you had a beard at home and yeah. you had rules with the beard, or the beard was in the dark. So we will be covering that on the Casey Rainbow Tour because I feel very strongly that people need to understand the cultural significance of cruising and what it was about and why. Um, so I believe in our stories. That's, what, that's where I was going with that. So David Jackson has compiled the third edition of an almanac uh, called Changing Times. It's an almanac of LGBTQ history in Kansas City. The third edition now, which I just got a few weeks ago comes in three volumes oh my it's God. three volumes of information so volume one let's see if i can let me turn off my uh my blurred background i'll have to get a copy of that um let's see this is volume one mm -hmm. changing times this is the almanac uh you'll see photographs it's done in chronological order mm -hmm. Volume two uh, is this bigger, thicker one. Mm -hmm. For those of you that are size queens, um, mm -hmm. it just continues. So each volume goes through a different period of history and then volume three. And from there, you can really chart your course. And that's kind of what I've used as my guiding post in creating this tour, figuring out which spots do I want to cover? I can't cover everything. So what are the high points and what what's kind of a must see and kind of thing. So that's a really valuable resource. And that is based on all that information was collected through Glamour. Mm -hmm. So it's all kind of works together. Um, I can't say enough good about these books and the work that David Jackson has done. I'm so glad that he did that work and I didn't have to. <laughs> and he's a friend of mine now. Then recently, I came across this book, mm -hmm. Queering, of Ke Queering Kansas City Jazz. And that's Don Inferno there on the cover. It is. It is. Um, and 
so I haven't read it yet, but I'm really excited about it because I've been learning that there was a lot of queerness in our jazz history here. And so I want to find out even more. And this was done, I believe, as an academic work. Mm -hmm. um, she's written a couple of different music queer related books. Mm. Uh, the back scene says queer in Kansas City jazz offers a new and exciting perspective on the jazz scene that accompanied the growth of Kansas City from frontier town to metropolitan city during the early 20th century goes on from there but uh and it talks about the people who pushed the boundaries and so i'm really excited to delve into that book but i was excited to find it i didn't even know it existed and i what i've done a lot with uh, each of the things that i'm featuring is i'll see what david has written in here and then i'll go and google and i usually find some other resources and stories and photos and things and so it's it's been really interesting to find things like that book that was how i found this as i was looking for something else i'm like whoa what's this book i need to get that <laughs> so nice. yeah lovely lovely oh i cannot wait to go do this it's so, gonna be a really the launch party on june 3rd you can go to my website you can buy tickets there you can learn a little bit i just created a facebook invite today i haven't even finished it yet for it but uh, joelspeaksout.com would be a good jumping off point um, if you, there's a whole page dedicated to the rainbow tour. And then on the shop page, you can buy tickets. Uh, also there is a Facebook page and an Instagram account for the KC rainbow tour. So you can see pieces of history, images, learn things. It's a good way to, I've been using that just to kind of drum up interest and support. And on August 29th, I'm having a birthday party fundraiser for the KC rainbow tour. And, um, uh, uh, just keep this on the down low, Kristen. But my I know I'm saying it tongue in cheek, but <laughs> my drag persona may be making an appearance at that party. <laughs> I will look forward to that. Oh, I I'm really, really looking forward to this. I think this is so cool. When you first started telling me about this project, it's as you said, you're not the first one to gather this information. You're simply trying to shed a light on it. You're trying to increase awareness for it. And you're trying to, as a storyteller, tell the story of Queer Kansas City with a little help from some new friends. Mm -hmm. So I thank you for that. From one storyteller to another, I appreciate that, certainly. Well, we're at our last segment, which is Ask Coach Kristen Anything. And this is your chance to either ask me a question that you would like some advice on. You can ask for a friend or just give my opinion on something that you and some friends or loved ones were discussing and see what I have. All right. I, I do have something for you. Yeah. I, something I've pondered a lot over the last couple of years. Do you think that we've divided the pie of sexuality into such tiny little segment pieces that in a sense like it becomes so much about sex acts positions roles that we're losing intimacy in the process of that that's a really good question joel yes yes because something here's an example for what I see in this, this particular example is specific to heterosexual couples. Typically, mm -hmm. Let's talk about pegging mm -hmm. as an example. Pegging is a female partner 
utilizing usually a strap on to penetrate her male bodied partner mm-hmm. in his anus. The implications that some people take from that, either the male bodied partner thinking that that means something about his sexuality, the female bodied partner, meaning thinking that that means that her partner must not want her, that maybe he wants a man or someone that owns a penis. Um, The perception that people have of their friends that enjoy pegging. And we all have an anus. I think that that is a perfect example of how far too many people put such a label on an act that they can't just remove those labels and simply consider that sex act to be something that, oh, it's just a sex act. We all have a butt. From a lot of us putting things in there feels pleasurable. Not all, but some. Um, so for it to then have the implications for people to then question themselves, question their partners. And certainly pegging is not the only thing that people put no. these labels on. I think yeah. in the in the the gay male community, there's been a lot of like when I was younger, I rarely heard anybody talk about top or bottom. Mm. You just had sex. Mm-hmm. And you met at a bar because you didn't have all the things that we do today. If you connected, you went and had fun and you figured it out along the way. You mm-hmm. know? And yeah. now it's very much like, it's like a checklist. Oh, no. Are you a top? Are you a bottom? Are you yes. a top? Yep. And yes. then the, then it becomes also like, if you're bottom, then there's this like, uh, pump and dump mentality which is like oh i'm gonna be in a hotel room ass up just come in pump and dump and leave and i'm like you know i understand on occasion that might be a fun situation but i'm seeing a lot of this where that's like all anybody wants hmm. like and i'm like i've to me sex is an outcropping of intimacy not always granted I was a cruiser. I know what it's like to, you know, but there seems to be less and less emphasis on let's just get together and have some fun and enjoy one another. Mm-hmm. Talk, whatever. It's always about what are we going to do? We have to do, we're going to do this and then we're going to leave, you know, kind of thing. So it's been something that's kind of bothered me as I've been observing. I feel like really, we've gotten really good at identifying what we want, what we like, our fetishes, our identities. But in the process, have we lost our ability to connect on a more intimate level? Or yeah, we... yeah. And and to also assume the way someone's going to operate when we're being intimate with them, just based on all these labels, like it's a know, lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. Because for someone to, as you <laughs> said, to say that they are a top or a bottom just because maybe they like one more than the other doesn't mean they don't enjoy the flip side of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, saying that you're a switch or saying that you're into impact play. We don't always need all things in every sexual mm-hmm. interaction, but yes, there's people out there like, oh, you're into kink. I'm not into that. It's like, but I, I don't always need to have something kinky going on to enjoy a sexual interaction. And, and yeah, you know, like, yeah. I think too, what you described there is a bit of the influence of, of hookup culture. Um, which is is dying off actually um the there's been some research in the last couple of years I think it actually one came out in 2021 so but it was data before the pandemic 
that uh, more people under the age of 30 are looking for committed long-term relationships as opposed to hookups. Uh, so that's actually why they're having less sex than previous generations. Um, but there's definitely an opportunity for people to stop trying to make sure that someone like checks off all these boxes before you completely eliminate them, especially when it comes to stuff like this. Like, why aren't you checking to make sure that this person's a good communicator? Why aren't you right. checking to make sure that this person respects your no if you say no? Mm-hmm. Why aren't you checking to make sure that this person is a respectful human being? Uh, there's so many more things that I think yeah. there, that you could check a box off for than whether they are a top or a bottom or they like pegging or they like fisting or they like whatever it may be. All of that can happen mm-hmm. if and when it's time. But if you don't have some kind of connection and you're building something, then it becomes it becomes a gradable act where you're like, well, okay, I have had better you know, because it's just about that. But, and that frustrates me too, because I, I know a lot of people who are like, well, you know, it was like one and done. That's it. Never hear from them again or anything because they've, they've sought, they conquered, they've moved on, you know? So, and like I say, I'm not, a, I'm not denying that there is a place for sometimes for some spontaneous random hookup fun, but some I do have feel- our slutty phase, yes. Yes, <laughs> but I just feel, I, I miss intimacy is what I'm trying to say, yeah. Yeah, and that's most of what my practice is about is yeah. helping people really, uh, you know, stretch that intimacy muscle. Yeah, um, I, I think that there's a lot intimacy of intimacy is sexy. <laughs> yes, yes, intimacy. I think it gets a bad rap with some people because they think, oh, it's just about like sharing your feelings. Like it's way more than than that. It's way more than that. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it also, if you're tired of the trial and error kind of mentality for this stuff, like grab a book that has been written lately, that's trying to help people understand more about intimacy. Cause like, yeah, there's no guidebook for life, but there are definitely books out there that have been written to try to help people fill in the gaps from yeah. either the lessons and models that weren't set forth for them. Like if you didn't see your parents having a healthy relationship it can be challenging to have a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. If your parents didn't give you much permission to just be yourself, you've got to learn to do that. So like there's ways to learn to have better intimacy. People just have to be willing to open up their hearts and their minds to the tools that are available to them. Exactly. And not just rely upon the shitty <laughs> messages that they got from people in their lives who weren't successful with relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it drives me crazy when people are taking advice from somebody in their family that should not be giving advice. (laughs) Family or friends, either way, like find people that have done the work. You need to find people who have done the work before you start accepting advice Mm. from them. And it's, it's not even really advice. It's opinions. Exactly. Exactly. So stop taking the opinions (laughs) (laughs) people that don't deserve to offer an opinion exactly anyway well joel let's see i think you gave most of your information there before the ask i think so but i will of course have joel's information in the show notes 
any last bit of advice for the listeners? No, I always enjoy our conversations though. We, I, we could go on for hours. Yes, we <laughs> well, thank you again so much for your time. Thank you for the Casey Rainbow Tour. I can't wait to go take it. And I'll see you again soon, my dear. All righty. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Keep Them Coming with Open the Doors Coaching. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast and check the show notes for stuff we talked about during the episode. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Clubhouse, and TikTok, but visit my website if you want more information about me and my coaching services. You can join my safe for work or not safe for work email list, which I call the Dirty Bird. If you want less censored content about sex and relationships and want to know what I'm up to, please subscribe to that list. Send me an email, Kristen at Open the Doors Coaching, if you have a question, want to book a session, or want more information on my upcoming workshops. My theme song is original music by M. Kusa. Until next time.